Episode 104, Fred Moore, magician, entertainer, professional speaker. If you talk to anybody who's done anything or been successful, they've been failures more than they've been successful, uh, successful people. So. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, more information about Fred Moore, go to markgraven.com slash mistake 104. Thanks for listening. Our guest today is Fred Moore. He is, has been, uh, and still is, a professional speaker and entertainer for the past 25 years. My first mistake of the episode. Um, you, you can think of him, and he is, a corporate magician. Fred has done over 6,000 performances, and he's uh, also done presentations in 30 countries. You can learn more about Fred at his website, dosomuchmore.com. So Fred, thanks for being a guest. How are you today? Thanks for being here, or thanks for me being here. That's, an, that's two mistakes, right? That's two mistakes. And did you just call me a husband? You just called me a husband, didn't you? You're like, he has been. He has been. Sorry. Right. I've been called Cut his worse. mic. No, no. Yeah, thank you. Thank you it. for turning your mic on. That was the pre-recording. We got yeah. off on a yeah. very mistakey appropriate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's all good. And evidently, um, we called each other because our shirts match. I just noticed that. Uh, yeah, for those who are just listening, they'll have to picture light blue shirts, me in a polo and Fred in a, right. a button up. But Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So before we get going, Fred, um, your, your URL, your domain name, I'm curious, why uh, do so much more dot com? Uh, when I was first getting into the speaking side of it, uh, I've been an entertainer for 30 some odd years now. And when I was going to the speaking side of it, I was like, all right, well, I need a domain name that's going to obviously point to what I, and uh, as a speaker, they tell you that you got to have a book. You're not a speaker unless you have a book. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a book and the book was on productivity and getting more mm-hmm. done. And the title of the book was Do So Much More. And I was smart about that. Before I decided on the title, I made sure the domain name was available. Yes, that's smart. Because I'd made that mistake with my name. I have a website, morefred.com. And, and I got that because fredmore.com wasn't available. <laughs> when I initially well, checked it, it was. And then two weeks later, gone. So it was like, ah. Uh, so whenever I find a, a good domain name, I, I, I latch onto it. So A squatter um, gotcha, maybe, as they say, domain squatters. That's, that's not the type of profession kids aspire to, like Instagram influencer. Right. Yeah, but now it would be a mistake if listeners, it's it's do so much more M O R E, not like your last name M O O R E. Does that ever trip Cor- anybody up? Correct. I thought about trying to be clever like that, but I I, I don't want to be clever. That's just too confusing. <laughs> you know. Interesting though, well, when I bought morefred.com, I also bought M O R E Fred.com. Uh, you know, and there's too many dot coms I'm saying right here. Just stay, do so much more. Stay there. That's, that's all you get. Yeah. All right. Check that out on the interwebs. But Fred, I think you're, you, from what I've seen, 
um, of your work. You you are clever in um, a lot of ways. And I'm sure you have a clever story for us or interesting or both. What would you say, Fred, is your favorite mistake? Uh, it's funny because there's there's so many. If you talk to anybody who's done anything or been successful, they've been failures more than they've been successful, uh, successful people. So probably my favorite failure, my favorite failure is, I'll give you a little background. I'm an entertainer. I've been doing that for a long time. I still entertain, but I also do the, the speaking. And I was working on a show. And this show, we, I, I got to tour the world. My wife was actually involved in the show. Stu is one of the dancers, and I was one of the magicians in the show. Big, big production, toured the world two years. We went to Europe, we went to South America, and the show had been going on before I had joined it. I had replaced somebody else. And due to legal reasons, I can't say exactly who this show was involved, but they had big ears and, aha, how you doing there, kiddos? Um, so, you may get an idea from that. And two years into this show, everything's going great, everything's going great. We come around for the third contract, third year of the contract, and it was a U.S. tour. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Getting ready to do that. We rehearsed. Everything was good. About two weeks into it, I get a call from the production manager. Hey, let's have a meeting, okay? I come to the meeting in Wachshin in the head of HR for the whole company. Not just our mm. whole company. And that's never a good sign. I swear, as soon as he walked in, I heard, dun, dun, dun. Uh, and I knew something bad was going to happen. Something not good, uh, at least for me, wasn't going to happen. And I was thinking, it's like, well, what's going on? I don't know. I've been working for two years. I've gotten good reports. I, I don't get it. He sat me down. We blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, well, let's get right to it. We know you have a nine-month contract. And you've read our contract. And there's an out clause in the contract for either of us. And we've decided we're going to release you from your contract. I, lo I love the way they, they put it. Release yeah. you from your contract. Basically, you're, they, you're fired. Right, yeah. you're fired. Uh, and it was like, okay. And like, why? It's like, well, it's just you're not fitting in with the way the show is going right now. Turns out they wanted somebody younger. Uh, and they didn't need somebody that had my skill set. It was a very smaller role. So they made some changes. And, and, and I get it. Now I get it. At the time, it was like, Okay, I've got a nine-month contract. And if you know anything about performers, it's usually gig to gig to gig. And long-term contracts are, are rare. I mean, they're out there. But mm -hmm. if you can get a nine-month contract, that's awesome. I didn't have to it's, look it's, it's, for yeah. work for nine months now. There's stability, yeah. Exactly, which is, again, rare in a lot of businesses. So now, all of a sudden, the rug has been pulled out from under me, and boom. I got nothing. I had nine months of work. I'd, I was turning down work before. Now I got nothing. And it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I could do two things. I could sit there and wallow in my misery, which I did for about a day. And then I decided, all right, well, there's nothing I can do about this. Let's, let's move on. And I started working and started making phone calls and getting some traction. But then a, a couple of weeks later, this one, I, I got to look back on this. And it's like, well, what happened? Why, why am I in this situation? You know, what, what was the failure in this? And I looked at it, and I realized, in this particular show, I was replaceable. They weren't 
hiring Fred Moore. They were hiring somebody to stand there, do this, and say that. Right? It was an acting role more than anything. I was just a commodity. I could be replaceable. So that's when I learned, all right, I need to not be replaceable. That's the whole point. It's like, they're not coming it's like, to me because, all right, we need a keynote speaker at our conference. We need a virtual speaker at our thing. We need a magician at our thing. No, they're coming to me because they need that, but then they go, ooh, ooh, we want Fred Moore. That's what we want. So now there's no competition. There's, there's no other choice. They either get Fred Moore or they get somebody like Fred Moore. If they can find that. If they can right? find because that. Right, because you've, yeah. I mean, you've got a, a, a very a particular set of skills that you bring out on stage, even in a corporate presentation um, type setting from the clips that I've seen um, online. It seems like there, there's a fine line between entertainer and corporate presenter. You can, you can be both. You can be entertaining with a solid, helpful message, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And that's why uh, a lot of meeting players are, are pretty smart about it. They need to bring in somebody that not just has good information. Because, I mean, if you've been to any of these conferences, you, you can go to some of the breakout sessions. And these are people that have the good technical knowledge, but they're not professional speakers. And right. after an hour or so, it's, you know, whereas a professional speaker knows when to break up the monotony, when to insert something that's funny or something that's going to grab people's focus back from their phones and whatnot. Uh, and being an entertainer first. I was just going to say, I mean, I think of conferences where um, there are presenters who stand on the floor in front of a screen in a breakout room. And, and doing well in that environment is different than trying to command a big stage in a big room. It's not just about the content. It's about presence and knowing how to work that size of room because um, otherwise you could you know you, you could print out a wikipedia page and put it up on stage oh exactly exactly that's I, I i i say i love to see this but i hate to see this when presenters go up there and they bring up a slide and it's just full of text bullet point bullet point bullet point it's like could have just you know sent me a pdf and i would have got the same information and i would have just saved 45 minutes you know yeah, you could have taken the PDF out by the pool instead of being in the, the conference ballroom. Yeah, my uh, we're, we're veering into speaking pet peeves maybe here accidentally, but my favorite yeah, is sorry about that. Up, no, it's all right. I mean, somebody uh, speaking mistakes, and I'd like to think these were in my past, but you know, putting up a, a slide that's really, really, really dense, and someone says, I know this slide is an eye chart, but... I'm like, well, then why did you put it in the deck that way? If you, you're acknowledging that there's, it's too small, too much, blah, you know, let's oh, yeah. learn from those mistakes. Yeah. Um, so so back, back to your story, Fred, and for those who need uh, further hints um, while staying out of legal trouble, this could be a coincidence, but Fred is based in the Orlando, Florida area. If you weren't correct. already kind of getting to what he um, was hinting at with the story. But, you know, so I'm interested to, you know, to hear more about that reflection of, you know, the situation. Um, the, it's what I hear, hear you saying was the mistake was being in a role where it wasn't particular to you. Like, have you did you shift directions to where corporate speaking would be more the situation of we want Fred. Fred's not replaceable. Um, or you're still in more of the entertainment realm, were there things that you did to adjust to be less replaceable? Yeah, 
yeah, in the keynote speaking world, typically I, I am sort of a commodity in the aspect that they have a need, right? They need a keynote speaker for their event. The, what I can do to differentiate myself from everyone else is the fact that I'm entertaining and I'm funny and there's the magic and there's the message as well. So it's, they call it, you know, infotainment, that type of thing. So that was kind of an easy, um, not an easy in, but an easy idea to, to, to bring across. Since I was already entertaining, uh, adding the information and, and then determining what the information was from the book I'd written years ago and, and all that was, it was easy enough. And, and so then what, what year was it when you made uh, a bit of a shift to focus more on speaking and corporate events? Uh, it was probably right around that time. It was 2010, so 11 years ago. And I've been doing a bit of both. Uh, and when I was doing that tour, like I said, I was, I was enjoying myself because, hey, they paid us to go to Europe, to South America. I've been to so many different places since then too. Uh, but once that happened, my, my focus had to shift dramatically because I, I had to learn is like, all right, I'm not, I, I can't be a commodity anymore. I can't be replaceable. And then in the situation where now I've got nothing, what do I need to do to fix that? And to fix that was just take what Tony Robbins called massive action. I need to do a lot of things right now. I need to contact, I need to market, I need to get my name out there, I need to, I just need to, you know, work on the business side of the show business right now. And, um, you know, kind of thinking back to this, this combination of speaking and writing, um, hear your thoughts on this. So my, what I would propose is somebody who's got speaking skills can get a book written, whether they write it or they get varying degrees of help. I mean, uh, as as an author, I realize um, you know, writing a book is a big challenge, but it's doable. I think sometimes there is a poor assumption that's made, or we could frame it as a mistake, that just because somebody wrote a book, therefore they can get up on stage and be a compelling speaker about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I think there are two uh, polar opposite skill sets for sure. And like you said, uh, it's totally most speaker. If it's a good speaker they can write a book or they can get somebody. A lot of speakers, what they'll do is they'll record their speech and they have it transcribed and they got a book. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a great book probably uh, to read, but it's a book. Whereas a writer will sit there and think about the sentence and the structure and at least a good writer and the story and how it ties together and what words to use and all that. And if you just basically read that on stage, it, it, it's probably not going to be anywhere near as good. And plus the fact that, it, you know, if, if it's a good book full of information, it's going to end up being a four-hour speech, and nobody wants to sit through that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, Fred, you know, I want to um, ask about times when, um, as, as a magician, or even I've seen some of your, your corporate clips of bringing someone from the audience up on stage. Like that can be really entertaining. There's these variables and, and ways maybe that it's risky. How, how do you handle it when there are mistakes um, on stage? Do you expect it? Do you just try to like, let's say if somebody isn't following your instructions or if it was a, I don't know, a cruise ship and somebody's drunk and you didn't realize it. I mean, is, is that a mistake? Is that potential gold? Does it just depend? 
Uh, it depends on the situation and, and the person. Uh, a lot of times, and it happens more often than not, I've gotten pretty good over the years of picking the right people from the audience. Um, I don't want to pick somebody that is all like, woohoo, pick me, pick me, because they want attention. And I, I can guarantee that once they get on stage, they're going to they're gonna want more attention than I, than, than I want. Uh, and it's probably not going to tie into what I'm doing. Now, sometimes that can be funny. I've had that happen where it's like, oh, she seems very, you know, not, not really shy, but you know, not going to be like too. And woohoo, they'll just go crazy, uh, which can be funny. Uh, it just depends on the situation. Uh, I've had several instances where w- once or twice I, I had to, quote, fire somebody on stage. Uh, yeah, they were in the middle of a routine. It's like, you know what? How about we do this? Go have a seat, and why don't you help me instead? Uh, well, why 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 you have to do that, or why'd that seem? Well, necessary? normally I wouldn't do that if the audience was on my side. Mm. Uh, you know, it, well, if the audience was on their side, if they were enjoying what was going on, if they were because if they're messing with me and I'm, you know, that's that's funny to me because normally that's not what you would see. But where if they're just not cooperating, like in this instance, it was just like, you know, here, pick a card. No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and it's like, no. Okay, well, here, put the card in here. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it. You can't have it. You that know, doesn't and, seem and fun I for understand. the audience. Yeah, yeah, they think it's fun. They, 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 mm. They're being hilarious. The audience is like, this is awkward. <laughs> and so I'll be like, why don't you just go sit down? It's okay. Uh, and I'll, uh, usually as they're going down, I'll look at the audience and give them like, yeesh. And the audience like, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. Uh, and they get somebody up and then just carry on. But uh, yeah. sometimes when stuff like that happens, I enjoy it because I'm used to doing kind of the same thing again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's those unknown elements that make it fresh for me. Mm-hmm. It makes the show spontaneous. In in the past year, Fred, with, with COVID, um, any of us who've depended on on travel or being someplace on stage or whatever that that's you know the, there've been fewer or no opportunities for that. How how did you pivot to working on virtual stages or doing virtual events? What what are some of the things you've done? Were there any mistakes? Were there lessons learned in working in that format? Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, I mean, you, you can just Google it. On, on YouTube, and you'll see tons and tons of video mistakes at conferences. The, you know, the early one was the guy talking to the uh, news reporter, and his kid walks in uh, in the other room, and his wife comes in and grabs the kid and drags him out. Was it uh, not too long ago? Somebody had a, a filter on that made him look like a, a cat, I think it was, or something. Right. Right. Uh, it was a lawyer who had to, to who had to tell yeah. the judge, "I am not a cat." <laughs> Well, that's not. the first thing a cat would tell you if they were. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, ah, you're a cat. We can tell. Um, but yeah, they, mostly it was like technical stuff. Uh, and I, I did something that I, I think is pretty smart. I, the, I had to dial in the tech. That was the biggest challenge. And I'd already been doing a lot of videos. I had a studio set up in my office to do YouTube videos and stuff. So it was just a not a huge leap to get into live streaming or live content. But there was a learning curve, obviously. So I started doing Facebook Lives uh, twice a week. Sometimes I didn't know what I was going to talk about an hour before, 
but I knew I was going to commit myself to doing it twice a week because then I could fail and I could fail fast and I could learn what all the mistakes were and what to do to fix them. And it, it, I didn't have a huge, huge following, so it was minor little things. And one of the uh, uh, topics I talked about w was failure. And I, I would share stories of, of massive failures, epic fails that I'd had in my life. So if something screwed up in the live stream, it was like, well, it just kind of plays into the thing, right, doesn't it? Uh, there was one I was doing, I was about 15 minutes into it, and I checked my phone because I had the comments there. And because I was really into the story and all that, and I look, and somebody had commented like 10 minutes into it, your microphone's not working. <laughs> so I'd been blah, 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 blah oh. for 10 minutes and nothing. And it's like, click. Okay, so where was I? Um, yeah. And fortunately, that kind of stuff, I can go up back and delete it off of Facebook. And it's only going to live in the moment. And if I want to get rid of it, I can delete it, and, and, and it's fine. So I'm, I don't mean to pick on you about this, but the, the the microphone issue, at least you caught that before. Well, I couldn't hear you, right? So before we went um, into the recording here, um, you had that happen. Um, I don't know. This is more of a suggestion like for, for people who are just listening and not watching on YouTube. Um, Fred's got the, the ClickBon lavalier mic that you have to turn on. Or, you know, just thinking out loud, like my microphone here is just perpetually plugged in perpetually on. So the process improvement guy in me is wondering how, how can we yeah. help you error proof that? Or it's just a case of making sure there's somebody willing to speak up and say, Hey, I can't hear you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny uh, on my Amazon list is that next purchase right there is, okay. <laughs> is the mic right here. So I don't have to worry about this because like earlier today I went out and got fresh batteries. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, I think this is my default because this is what I'm used to using being on a stage. And if, I've, if I'm doing a virtual presentation that is more magic related, I'll be standing up and it'll be a wider shot. So I'll be moving around a little bit more. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that is, a, the, the, I think, probably the best solution right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's a good point. It depends on the setting because you don't want to be for certain virtual presentations tethered to a desk. Exactly. And I, I can see where exactly. that would be. But I like um, your point. idea because when it's time to do these videos or podcasts or whatever I'm doing, the mic's there. I don't have to worry about it. Click the button and go. So simple. Simple is better. Um, so our, our guest um, today, uh, again, uh, Fred Moore. Check out his website, do so much more. Dot com. Um, a couple, I want to ask a couple other things. Um, in, in your email signature, it says you're a certified virtual presenter. What does that entail? I, I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, obviously, it's relatively new in, in this past year. And it's a company. It's, they're, they're more of a, a, a database for speakers bureaus. Uh, they gather, you sign up for it, you, and you can get listed with other speakers bureaus as and it's a resource to check out their information it's where your bio lives your fees all that good stuff and they were getting calls from bureaus saying all right we need somebody to do a virtual presentation but are they any good we know they're good on a stage but good on a stage doesn't necessarily translate to good in the virtual world just like you can be it's going to be a really good writer but you're not a really good speaker so they said okay, how do we know 
And so they were getting clips of them actually doing things, and that's when they came upon the idea, well, why don't we set some criteria and submit, and then the speakers submit to them, it's like, all right, I want to try to get this certification from you. And they go through and they test your mic, your video, they, they log you off and see if you can log back on, they throw <laughs> a bunch of tech issues at you, they, they, you know, they make sure your microphone's turned on, uh, and so they certify that, yeah, you can handle the tech, you're good enough at what you do that it's going to look presentable, it's going to sound good, and you can work the tech. Uh, as far as the content, that's all up to you. So it's just a way for speakers bureaus or agents or companies that are booking people to go, oh, okay, well, they know what they're doing, so I don't have to worry about yeah. that. So how do you address, I mean, so the, the thing I struggle with sometimes, and I wouldn't say I'm, you know, really a, a comedian, I'm not a comedian, I, you know, when I do my presentations, I have certain lines that I think predictably get a laugh, and I, you know, I think that, that's a good thing. But to me, doing a webinar presentation or a virtual presentation is like talking into a black hole. You don't hear laughter. Um, you, you maybe don't even see facial expressions of uh, delight or nodding or boredom. I mean, how, how do you cope with that challenge of, of maybe not seeing your audience, not getting feedback? Um, it, it's funny. I, before all the virtual stuff, I was doing a lot of YouTube videos, and it was talking directly to the camera. And I'd learned a long time ago that, especially on videos like that, that you need to imagine you're talking to one person. And the same thing when you're doing a speech, you're talking to one person. You don't say, everybody here should do this. You say, you should do this. You. Because you are talking to one person, the person that's listening to you. Now, there may be a thousand people listening to you, but to each of those individuals, it's just about them. So uh, that, and it's all about you know the, the connection, eye contact with the camera. Um, I, right before we started this, I shifted the screen so that I'm looking at you right now. I've got a teleprompter here with the camera behind it, but the image I'm seeing is you. So I'm making eye contact with you, but I'm also looking right at the camera. And the, the big problem, of course, is like you said, the, the energy. You're, well, you're not talking to anybody. But if you can imagine that you're talking to somebody, I know people that they tape a picture right below the camera of you know, their wife, their husband, their kids, their, you know, whoever they imagine that they're talking to. Uh, could even be the, the client or the audience. Uh, so that you have an, an idea in your mind of, of that you're talking to somebody. And it's a conversation. And if I'm on stage, I'm going to be animated. I'm going to be like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be me. As opposed to talking and reading off the teleprompter what I'm going to say next. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole different skill. And, and, oh, yeah. you know, politicians use prompters a lot and some of them are good at making it seem really uh, extemporaneous. And some of them you can tell they're clearly reading and sometimes they're reading it for the first time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so yeah, you've got a good setup because, you know, on my screen, I've got your image as high up as I can get it. Like right yeah. now I am looking right at the camera. Um, so yeah, that, that, there's a good lesson there in trying to 
retrain myself. It's tempting. I want to look at your I want to look at your eyes, but that's down below. So hi audience or hi Fred, looking into the camera is a good practice. But you you've got the setup where you're literally like I know how a teleprompter works. You're looking through a mirror and there's a image, the words are projected up on it. So you're literally looking through. You you have that set up right yeah. now? Yeah. Okay. I might ask you yeah. to send me a picture of that later because I'm, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, it's essentially it's a third monitor. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's easy enough. Well, that's uh, that's a great tip. So, um, so Fred, one one other thing I was going to ask you, just going back to more the beginning of your career, and this probably goes back to childhood. How how did you get into magic? Like, what was the spark and the appeal for you? I always wanted to be a performer ever since I was a kid. I was the youngest of four boys, and they were all two years apart in age, except for me. I was five years apart from my oldest brother. So, and, and this is what I, I'm thinking has sparked my creativity over the years, is the fact that they were older than me. So it got to a point where they didn't want to play with me anymore because I was too young, and they were on to older things. So I spent a lot of time in my imagination and discovered theater and whatnot. And so all through middle school, high school, I was involved in drama. I took, I took tap dancing lessons, wasn't any good at it. Took music lessons, wasn't any good at it. Tried different things, but I wanted to be on a stage. And then 16 years old, that's when my high school guidance counselor sat me down and said, all right, you're 16 years old. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> Real scary. smart. Yeah, I know. It's I'm 16. I don't know. I'm growing in hair in places I didn't know I should have hair and my hormones and what. And so I looked at him. I said, I want to be a magician because I'd always you know, dabbled in magic like kids do. Got the magic kids at Christmas. And he looked at me and went, good luck with that. Because he had no way <laughs> yeah. to send me no resources. I don't know what to tell you, kid. Good luck. And so I took lessons from a magician, and I decided, I think, uh, it was a way for me to connect with people, because I was very shy. You talk to a lot of performers, and they're inherently very shy. If I'm in a social situation where I don't really know anybody, I, I probably am not going to be Mr. Extrovert. I'm going to be an introvert. And so it was a way for me to connect with people and meet girls, for one thing, uh, <laughs> because it's, here's something cool I can do that nobody else can do. So that's kind of sparked that, and that got me going into performing and then thinking about the idea. You know, I was like, oh, okay, I could, I, I could probably make a living at this, couldn't I? Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that that path worked out for you. You get to follow your dream and, and, and pivot and make adjustments from the different lessons along the way. So I appreciate you sharing that idea, and I think there's a takeaway thought for, for um, dear listener. I'm going to address the listener, not the listeners, um, the intimacy of, of having our voices pumped into somebody's ears directly is to think about, and this is something I'll think about, what can you do to make yourself less replaceable in terms of your employment or your career or what you do? I think that's a, that's a really good thing to think about. So thank you for your story, Fred, and, and um, everything that you've shared with us here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a, it's, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Well, good. Um, and, and the website again is do so much more M O R E.com. Um, Fred Moore with, with two O's and the, the name of the book again was do so much more. 
The book is Do So Much More about productivity. Yeah. And the website is Do So Much More. Yeah. I feel like and that's a mistake. Think- I feel like that was a mistake in terms of either my listening skills or my retention skills. I apologize. Probably retention. My That's mis- all right. That's all right. My mistake. Yeah. The book and the website and and the guy do so much more dot um, com. You can hire Fred to uh, to speak and present virtually or at some point back on stage. And then one other thing I was going to ask, I saw um, on the website here. Here's here's a mistake I think a lot of conferences make. They don't have a professional, energetic, lively MC. So I'm like, yes. you know, how would you make the pitch of like, why should a conference go through the extra expense of, of hiring you to be the master of ceremonies? That's an excellent question, and I'm glad you asked. A lot of times at conferences, it's talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head, and talking head. And I know at a lot, of, a lot of companies, especially if it's a company conference, the CEO wants to be up there, and he wants to, he wants to be the Steve Jobs. And, and that's awesome. But he has a lot of other things he needs to do in, in the company. More important things, talking with the clients, the people that are paying the bills for the conference, you know, taking them out to lunch, talking with them, networking and all that. And it's great for him to, to be a face up there, but to have a through line throughout the conference, that's where the MC comes in. Uh, the MC provides brain breaks instead of just constant information dump. It's here's something different, here's something funny, here's something to take your brain out of that information overload mode. Um, and it makes people laugh to release tension. Uh, it creates networking. It creates camaraderie between all the attendees because now they're a group in a shared experience of this funny, funny event that happens to be a conference. Yes. And I've, I've seen that? the difference. Uh, I think as, no, that's a great pitch. And as an audience member, um, I, I will, or even as a speaker, I'll make the pitch. The events I've seen that have a professional MC, it does make a difference. Oh, yeah. So Fred is yeah. one of those people that uh, maybe we'll get to, maybe you'll be the MC someday for an event I'm speaking at. That would be fun. But there you go. I'd love to bring you on stage. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Fred. Um, I tried my best to introduce you, and maybe someday, yeah, you might be introducing me. But Fred Moore has been our guest here today. Thanks a lot. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, thanks again to the Fred Moore for being such a fun guest today. To find links to his website and everything that he does, go to markraven.com slash mistake 104. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.